Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. Well, I've, uh, I'm no longer a Canadian citizen. I've packed my bags. I got my passport. I'm now a proud resident of New Donk City. Oh, you had me worried there for a second. But you know what? Uh, I took a little visit to, uh, to that, uh realm of the galaxy recently and it was uh it was quite the sight to see so you've been uh, you've been spending your time playing super mario odyssey i, I understand uh i have uh and what a time it's been uh what a what a joyous experience and so far uh, one new donk city is the highlight i'm so excited to see what other nooks and crannies there are to explore in the vast world of mario odyssey but what a uh, late in the year treat it has been I I only got to play about uh, maybe about an hour and a half of it recently. It's a friend of mine who has uh, uh, recently got the Nintendo Switch, and it took forever to download Mar- Mario Odyssey. But man, it was you're right. It was a lot of fun, it, and I did not get to sink my teeth into New Donk City. The case for me getting a Nintendo Switch, uh, it continues to grow larger and larger. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's been a great year. Splatoon two. I was playing uh, Sonic Mania. Uh, it's it's a fun time though. I'll sell the I'll, I'll say this about Mario Odyssey. It is it does uh, ask some pretty. We like to get a little metaphysical about things that maybe don't deserve it uh, here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Sometimes we go on a deep dive when the water actually is shallow. But uh, Mario Odyssey, there are some strange metaphysical questions you could ask about. Uh, the morality at play with Mario possessing these creatures. When when Mario's there, where does the creature go? All that <laughs> kind of stuff. Uh, but I guess maybe the less time you spend thinking about it, the better. But then you get to possess a T-Rex, and all the questions seem to just go up. <laughs> exactly. They fade away. The frog's That's got right. a mustache. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. It is Elwood City Limits, as my co-host Lucas Mancini was so good to introduce. And my name is uh, Will Young. Hello, and thank you for joining us, Lucas. Not only uh, is it, you know, the days of Mario Odyssey, not only is it uh, the week of Halloween that we're recording this, but this is a special day for our podcast. This is the final episode of Season 2 of oh. Arthur. My goodness, it's been a long road. I think I said that last time when we were uh, the final season of uh, final episode of season one. Uh, it, huh? Knowing that, I had forgotten. I know you had told me that. Knowing that, this is a weird one to finish off the season on. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it seems like uh, I kind of thought I wasn't even sure if this uh, if this pair of stories would be in this season or not but uh yeah it it does seem like a weird one to end on especially considering that season three really starts uh in a special way anyway we will get to all of that in due time before we get uh into any part of the episode just want to throw it over to our uh 
our emails over at uh, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We did get an email from a listener by the name of Mandy, and she saw fit to list her top ten Arthur characters. Are you ready for Mandy's top ten? I was going to say top ten. I don't have a joke here, but I was going to mention Billy. I was like, where's Billy? We're getting an email from Mandy, but where's Billy at? You know what I mean? I want to hear from him. That was a little beyond my depth, unfortunately. You don't uh, remember? Oh, what is it? I I do. I I do remember the Grim Adventures of yes. uh, Billy and Mandy, but I just didn't watch that show when I was younger. Uh, I didn't don't really have, either, but it didn't seemed, have didn't have the Cartoon Network. It seemed edgy for the time. I I, <laughs> I, I don't really have a lot of experience with it either, but uh, you know, death as a main character in a kids show it seems edgy for some reason uh, to childhood Lucas. Anyway, I'm sure Mandy's sick of hearing about that. I'm sure she gets, oh, where's Billy all the time? So what's her what's her rankings? Uh, yeah, and it's Mandy with an I, so a little bit different in that respect as well. Uh, starts it off, she says, Hey guys, I'm going to list my top ten Arthur characters. Here's Mandy's top ten. Uh, number ten, Francine. I really don't like, but she does make the list. She can be funny at some times, and her and Arthur like each other. Uh, we go to number nine. It's Mr. Reed, a.k.a. Dave Reed. He makes great food. He seems like a dad that would be fun. I mean, she doesn't really know if he makes great food. She's kind of going on uh, 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 third-party information. But I guess we can assume he makes he's, he's good at his job. Uh, number eight, Mr. Haney. He has great lines and is so funny without trying to be. Very true. Uh, number seven, Rattles. Uh, Mandy says you will find once you get into the 20th season that he gets a lot of character development. Well, I'll lo- That's something to look forward to. I can't wait for all those Rattles arcs. Uh, number six, Arthur. No, he's not my favorite. He gets all the screen time, so he has his good moments, but I feel like he's rather normal. Not even cracking the top five. No. At number five is LaDonna. She is in the 19th season and is in the new Halloween special, which actually just aired, I believe it was, uh, last week. Uh, LaDonna is a rabbit, so her and Buster make great shipping. Uh... I wouldn't know anything about that for a multitude of reasons. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, number four is Buster. He laughs at everything, and, well, he's Buster. Can't disagree there. That's all you need, baby. Number three, DW, the best little sister in the world. Wink, wink. Controversial choice, but I agree as well. Number two, Binky. He is a lot of things and gets better every season. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Season 20, Binky is like... He's like, Biggie's like the Omar of the Arthur universe, like, <laughs> with similar amounts of depth. I cannot wait. I'm at the edge of my seat, Will. What is number one? Number one is the brain, because he, Mandy says, he reminds me of myself. I would do the same thing he did in Love Notes for Muffy, and he is smart in science like me. So, Mandy, a little bit of a vengeful streak. I, I, I guess so, yeah. Would you, <laughs> there's now I have all sorts of questions about Mandy. Uh, that's a that's a fun list though. If 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 any other listener wants to give us their top ten Arthur anything, uh, send it our way. Yeah, especially if it's uh, if it's out of the ordinary in any respect. Okay, so final episode of season two. Let's really get into it. I said last week I was really looking forward to this one. Uh, first part is how the cookie crumbles. And we kind of start this episode off pretty literally uh, because it's uh, kind of the he- the main Arthur gang as cookies. And uh, they're kind of inside of a cookie jar and looking to escape. 
And like as soon as this episode started, I realized I shouldn't have watched it while I was hungry. I actually ate a Fiber One cookie not long after seeing this sequence, so I was in the same boat. But I'll also say that this whole, like, I just had so many questions. So first of all, they've all like woken up as if they've been turned into cookies. So it's like they haven't always been cookies. Right. Uh, and there's like a weird like vor undertone to the whole thing, which the less said about that, the better. But like Muffy knows that they're sentient. It's not like a, a case of a misunderstanding where like the cookies are trying to escape the cookie jar and like Muffy can't hear them a la the movie Sausage Party. Muffy knows mm. that they can talk, but she's like, well, I made the cookies. I get to eat them. Them's the rules, which there's something very like. Uh, like icky and unsavory about the whole situation and then to top it off as far as we know this imagination sequence ends with Muffy succeeding in eating them like we get Muffy like the shadow of Muffy coming towards them and then a fade to black so fill in the grim details with whatever your mind desires I guess yeah you're right it uh, it is uh, a little bit troubling if you think about it too much which hey that's what we're here to do so it is rather troubling um a, cu- a couple of details from this whole scene. I mean, you pretty much outlined it right there. But a couple of details that I noticed was, uh, uh, you know, Binky kind of licks himself and says, uh, it's a, says, I'm a cookie. And Francine says, I've always wanted to be a cookie. You ever want to, you ever want to, like, you ever get that uh, desire to, to be a, be a, a food? To be not a, a food? Not, a, not a cookie per se, but, you know. No. I, I, mean, I think those banana costumes are pretty funny. Yeah, but that's I, I can a, see myself rocking one of those. Speaking of which, banana, uh, that's foreshadowing to come on later in this episode, I guess. Hmm. Uh, the paja- the when, bananas in pajamas, they seem like they have a great time. When the when the gang is cookies are running away, Binky does a real like cartoon run in place, like he does like a he does like a bunch of steps in place and <laughs> then starts running, which I thought Whoa. was. Yeah, this is a real Tom and Jerry kind of moment. Uh, and of course, I have the note here of how did Muffy create life through baking that's the other thing muffy's like question mark muffy's like this is like ridley scott directs arthur uh it's prometheus 3 muffy has created life it's it's like it oh man especially since you brought up the fact of like they were clearly not cookies before this so i'm i'm i guess i'm glad that the cold opens exist in their own little universe and thankfully this is not the plot of the episode it's almost like Almost like a little bit of a Goosebumps novel here, just in time for Halloween. It kind of reminded me of the uh, Magic School Bus episode where they're stuck in the oven. That always really yeah. scared me as a kid just because it's, like, horrifying. Uh, so I had, uh, even though they were just in the cookie jar and not an oven, it gave me the same heebie-jeebies. Just to make your day complete, you might get baked into a pie on the Magic School Bus. Oh my. So the actual episode has to do with... Uh, the Elwood City Strawberry Festival, which uh, which uh, number nine top Arthur character Dave Reed is uh, preparing a little something for, uh, looks pretty good actually compared to some of his other uh, culinary inventions. Uh, and it's funny, as a kid, I would have kind of had the same questions about the Strawberry Festival that DW had, and especially because. Uh, her dad introduces it as like that's the biggest holiday of the year and DW is like more like is it uh, more important than Christmas more important than you know Easter or what have you and then dad's just like well it's the biggest holiday this week (laughs) which is a funny line but yeah like we've you and I have actually lived in an area where there's a festival dedicated to apple blossoms 
Yeah, so it's not uncommon, especially in smaller towns, to have, like, oh, you know, it's the Honeysuckle Festival. Like, if there's something unique to that area, especially if it's rural, it gets celebrated usually in the spring. It's uh, not an uncommon practice. Or a fall yeah. fair is similar, but kind of different because there's no parade or anything. Yeah, it's very, it's like very reminiscent of like a small town, which Elwood, well, Elwood City is a city, so it's, uh, but still very regional as it is. Um, DW is still a little bit confused by the Elwood City Strawberry Festival, so she has Grandma Thora. Um, she asked, she asked her like what it is, and she also asked if she likes strawberries. Do you remember when you were a kid and like you had to ask people what you liked, like you weren't sure what you liked? Uh, not really. I had a pretty good idea of what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I would ask, would I like this? Like, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of new experiences when you're a kid. So, like, if there was something I haven't had before, I would go to my parents and be like, from what you know, like, from context clues, would I enjoy this new thing? Uh, which is kind of similar but a little bit different. But I don't remember ever saying, w- do I like this? My sister uh, told told this story at uh, Sunday dinner uh, just a couple of days ago. She um, she was talking about how when she and I were kids, she used to convince me that I didn't like Reese's peanut butter cups when we right. would go trick or treating, so she could she, she could take take mine for herself. And I used to be like, I don't like them. Okay, well then I guess I don't like them. I mean, props to me- your sister on that hustle. Yeah, so it took a couple of years before I was like, "Hey, wait a minute! I do like these." So uh, there, I guess for some kids, there is a time when they are highly suggestible, even to such inherent things as like their own personal taste. The whole kind of idea of this episode, or rather the the plot of it, based around the Elwood City Strawberry Festival, Muffy seems a little bit uh, nervous about it, and then Francine kind of acting as her uh, her inner monologue slash Muffy's vizier. Is kind of like this is why Muffy is upset. Like she entered the des- the strawberry dessert contest last year, and she got kind of she got some guff for it because people thought that she only won because uh, her father, Mister Crosswire, was the judge. And Francine says it's making her crazy. So a couple things about this. One, Francine comes off as kind of an explanation machine in this sequence. But, I mean, it's necessary to sort of, like you said, get that view into Muffy's psyche. Though it is a bit clunky. There's other ways they could have showed this flashback. Uh, Other comments. One, collusion. Uh, I absolutely agree with people calling into question if Muffy won because they had her dad as one of the judges. Get Paul Hollywood and Miss Mary Berry to judge this thing. Some professionals. What does a <laughs> car salesman slash local capitalist know about good baking besides that it's his daughter doing it? So I think people are absolutely in the right to question Muffy's win last year. And she's on the clock. She better deliver. Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to get into this a little bit in just a minute or two uh, when we talk about what exactly she won with. Um, yeah, so Muffy is really trying to think of something that she can make the next year, or rather, sorry, for this year, to prove that she won it fair and square. Uh, so they all go over to her house to cheer her up. Uh, as soon as they walk in, this didn't make any sense to me. You know, like Muffy's got like a plate of strawberries and is like trying to think of stuff. Uh, she even has like a couple of bananas by her seat. And as soon as they come in, they're like, Hey Muffy. And Binky's like, what do you got that we can eat? And Muffy's like, nothing. I'm like, but strawberries, There's strawberries right in front of you. Just eat the oh. strawberries. 
I didn't pick up on that, though I do like that Binky's the type. It's a very, like, Leon from Curb Your Enthusiasm attitude walk into someone's house and go, so what's the food here that I can take? <laughs> it, ta- it, takes a, it takes a level of self-assuredness that I, mm. I don't have, but I wish that I had, because that is often the question that I think in my head whenever I'm in a new place. Uh, Muffy, her, she's really trying to think of an idea. She One that comes right off the dome is strawberry meatloaf, which everybody thinks is disgusting, and I have to agree that doesn't sound very good at all she explains that her winning recipe last year was strawberry cookies and that that raised a question for me how did how was it that just it just a simple strawberry butter like she said it's like butter cookies with strawberries in them like that's so simple and nobody thought of anything better than that well doesn't she say butter cookies with a strawberry in them? Yeah, yeah, I think she does. And now this is where, though I've made, I have been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off lately, as you could tell by my uh, plug for Paul Hollywood and Miss Mary Berry. Uh, I don't really understand baking as much as my girlfriend does, uh, so I don't know if you put one strawberry into the mix, will it like sort of congeal and like. Uh, basically spread to all the cookies or what have you. Again, you could tell by by the words I'm using that I, I'm a little bit out of my depth, that out of my, <laughs> out of my element here. Uh, but from what I've learned from Great British Bake Off, whenever they have like a theme or something, they basically go as, they stretch it as far as they can, right? So like, I was watching an episode where they were making churros, and I'm a big churro fan, and then this one guy was like, oh, I'm gonna make a savory churro, and I was like, that's not how that works. <laughs> so when it comes to baking competitions, I feel like pretty much it's got to have a strawberry in it and then all bets are off. And that's essentially how Buffy won last year. For what it's worth, I mean, I, I know that there is plenty of evidence that, you know, the fix was in for Muffy's uh, baking <laughs> the year before. But I'm taking a look at the other entries that she was up against uh uh, the previous year, just in this like freeze frame of the show, and the three that kind of were in the finals against Muffy are all ice cream based. So I feel like they did kind of the they did like the Three Stooges thing where they were all trying to get through the door at the same time with their ice cream related strawberry dessert, and then just ended up crowding the plate, mm. if, so to speak. It's like volcano so. volcano science fair syndrome. Yes. Everybody passes in the paper mache volcano, so the one person who doesn't gets extra attention. I'll also say that, like, I would actually, like, if I'm thinking strawberry desserts, ice cream or a strawberry shortcake are the two first ones I think of. I don't think I've ever heard of nor seen a strawberry cookie. I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would love to try it, but you're right. I, I, other than like artificial strawberry flavoring, yeah. which like unless you count a peak freen, which a yeah. peak freen, which I'm a pretty big fan of. We need to talk about you know the main kind of central object. Of this episode because everybody kind of starts to build on Muffy's idea of strawberry cookies and adding their everybody adds one ingredient and it goes down the line so uh hey kids if you want to make Muffy's cookies at home uh here's what you have to put together into a bowl the measurements I could not tell you so it's strawberries of course and like you know everything you need to make a butter cookie uh, bananas which is explicitly Binky's idea so at first she puts uh, in one banana yeah. Someone puts in one banana, and then Binky puts in, like, three bananas. He says, bananas, bananas, and more bananas. Yeah, yeah. he's like, banana, more banana, banana again. He's like the DJ Khaled of bananas. Another one. Another <laughs> one. Uh, yeah, so it's several bananas, uh, like a handful of peanuts, uh, a handful Ugh. of chocolate chips, 
Uh, Brain just slides in peach slices and oatmeal. Right, and, and everybody fr- else, besides Biggie with the bananas, like, people have been putting in handfuls, like, reasonable amounts. Uh, Brain pours in a whole bowl of oatmeal and a whole bowl of peach slices. It's a lot. Like, I feel like at this point, they're more peach, they're more peach cookies than, uh, it's more pe- peach featuring strawberries than strawberries featuring peach. It's a lot. And then finally, Francine tops it off with a singular raisin. And so, and this is one of the problems I have with this entire episode. And I know we're kind of, it's a cartoon, uh, but what's our job? It's to talk about this cartoon. I do not believe that as a mix, this would hold together if you were to put it in an oven. I do not think you could uh, sort of mold this dough into little cookie balls and then have it be turned into cookies and cook evenly in the oven. I think that with all these chunky elements and all this stuff, I don't think this would turn out well. This is, again, I'm no baking expert, but I think if you were to try and replicate it exactly like they do in the show, uh, it would not turn out well. Mm -hmm. Now... I agree with you, Lucas. I think that whatever product you would get from this, it would be incredibly chunky. And the the I mean, uh, and... we don't really see because Buffy's chef is the one that prepares it. Uh, yeah. So he could like blend it some more. But even blended, like there's a certain amount of flour, and like the whole point of baking is that the stuff has to uh, be soft, but it, it it has to still be binding enough that it it sticks together. And I yeah. think that there's so many other elements at play here. Even if you were to mash them up into the mix, it just wouldn't bind. Again, this is me uh, making a lot of assumptions here, but from what I know about baking, I just don't think this would work out. And also, <laughs> what's that raisin gonna do? Come on. Yeah, that's the same thing as like, does that d- distribute evenly over the cookies? Like, no! you were kind of wondering about the strawberries. I don't know. Uh, by the way, Muffy's chef, who is French? Question mark. Vaguely European. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of an accent that is a bit hard to place. Uh, I I wanna I wanna lay down a challenge here for Elwood City Limits listeners. I dare you to make these cookies. I dare you. <laughs> I'm, you don't even have to like. Don't even feel like you have to send them to us. Although, if you do make them, I would love to taste it. But I wanna I wanna know. I want you. To make these cookies, or try your best at making this Muffy's scrumptious smackaroodles, and then tell us how it went, and give us a, send us some pictures too. Like just document the whole thing, and we'll talk about it. Her chef does end up making the cookies, and Muffy immediately is just like, "Oh, those were just a joke. Throw them out." But before before she does, she takes a bite of one. And apparently, they're so good that she stops him, and. We cut now to the to the Strawberry Festival, which I noted had a bit of stock footage. Did you notice that? No. There's a couple of shots in there that were used in the a previous episode. I forget which one. Actually, I believe. Hang on, I think the YouTube uh, video that I'm on for this right now. Yeah, they recycled the parade scene from My Club Rules, which was the one where they were building the parade float. <laughs> My, this is Arthur Michael Baying it. Uh, hey, you it's, gotta make it's, that's it. where. I'll say this, and I probably said this in that other episode. Uh, cartoons always make parades seem so much more elaborate than they end up being. Like, unless you're something huge, like the May Day Parade or like one of those giant like New York parades. Uh, yeah. It's going to be, like, a bunch of, like, businesses' cars with maybe, like, someone waving out the window. It's, yeah. like, people don't build – small businesses do not have the funds to build these giant 
uh, like mechanical, uh, very involved floats. Yeah, Jack's someone... joke shop is not gonna have like this, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean style mechanical snake. Uh, it's just not feasible. Certainly not. And uh, you know, as someone who's been in several parades, it takes a lot to even get like a basic a basic float going. So, you know, you really have to go above and beyond. And these are like Disney parade levels mm. at, at points. And it's, it is it is usually more like the float that Dave Reed is in. He, uh, he's like dressed, he has like a strawberry hat and he's just like waving to the crowd. And I like how uh, mom and grandma Thora kind of snicker a little bit at him. Cause it does look pretty ridiculous. <laughs> uh, the, the gang of this episode minus Muffy, they, uh, kind of find themselves at the strawberry contest and Muffy wins again for a second consecutive year with her creation Muffy's scrumptious smackaroodles uh so you know it's a little bit of an ungainly name but hey uh she was the one who marketed it so she can do whatever she wants uh, I will say here, uh, this is where I noted that I really like the transition between scenes in this episode. It's like a bunch of falling strawberries with like mm. the like like the sound effect, like they're being dumped out of a bucket or something. It's just, uh, I don't know. Strawberries are great, and I like being reminded of strawberries. I wrote that down, too. I do like I like it when they do those little custom transitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, uh, Muffy's recipe is published in the newspaper. Uh, and Which, okay. Yeah. That was a good time to get into this because I saw I saw it coming that oh Muffy's gonna uh, like it's pretty obvious Muffy's gonna enter in the recipe that they all all kind of collaborated on, uh, and Muffy could have gotten away with the perfect crime if she didn't blow up her own spot and have them like publish the recipe in the newspaper. There's no need. Also, also probably my biggest problem with this entire episode is going to come up later. Keep in mind that the recipe was published in the newspaper. I just want you to keep that in your mind's eye for later on. So Arthur sees the recipe in the newspaper and wonders if he and, his, if he and the rest of his friends got credited, but they did not, which he, Francine, and Brain take exception to as they are meeting up in the treehouse with the article. And then Binky comes in with this. Like This is almost like a Simpsons-level joke. And Binky's like, it's like, I just read this. Can you believe it? These sneakers are on sale. And I, I looked at the ad. It looks like they were like Converse for $15, which is a pretty good sneaker sale for brand new Converse. Are you kidding me? That is darn good. Uh, but then Francine flips around the newspaper and Binky reads it. And uh, we, get the li- we get the line of the episode, which is repeated. Um, you know, I, I might be able to make a super cut out of this. Stay tuned and see if I actually put it into the episode. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know what I, sh- you know, uh, you know what I might try and do is uh, see if I can play them all at the same time. Oh, like classic, like red letter media style. I'll say yeah. it once. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I think it's repeated like two times too many. Like I was getting annoyed. Like it's kind of funny that Biggie's like almost to a minions level obsessed with bananas like that's especially funny for when you're a kid i remember being a kid like someone saying like taco was really funny way back in the day but as an adult this just kind of got on my nerves it's uh it wears out as welcome a little bit it's not the it's not the funniest thing in the world but you know it's at least i i i think more than the line itself i just love how obsessed with his own like how uh 
forest for the trees Binky is. Uh, I was getting very nervous when Binky was kind of reacting to the newspaper thing because he's like standing on the ladder of the treehouse to come in. And then he's like not holding on to anything while he's reading the newspaper. And I'm like, dude, if a, if a stiff breeze comes by, you're going to take a huge back bump off that tree. And I was just like, please, please just hold on to something. I didn't notice that at all. That's hilarious. Oh, man. I was... I guess it's my inner parent just being like, please, please stop. Just hold on to something. Um, So I'm always like, up to this point, I've been pretty critical of Buffy. Uh, I still mm -hmm. don't think they've given her character due diligence and fleshed her out. I'm starting to think that she's going to be pretty much one dimensional forever. But in this episode, and I'm going to take a maybe controversial stance here. I am so team Buffy in this episode. Like, it's not even funny. Like, these guys are getting so up in arms because, like, oh, I threw in three bananas. Like, I should get credit. Okay, one, you guys were just goofing around. You did not know you were, like, contributing to, like, a recipe. So you only want the credit after the fact. Uh, Two... Like, like Buffy says, Buffy actually does a pretty good job of defending herself later on in this episode. Buffy was the one who entered the contest. It's Buffy's oven. Like, she's the one where this whole thing is predicated on her having the drive to even do any of it. These guys were just like, throw it a raisin. So they're all up in arms because we didn't get any credit. But you know what? None of that would stand up in a court of law. You guys didn't put anything in writing. Buffy's covered her tracks in that respect. Uh, so you wouldn't even have known about it if she didn't print it in the paper. So sorry if I'm not so sympathetic that you're not getting credits for coming up with the great idea of three bananas in a cookie dough. Wow, this is uh, this is a lot more cutthroat than I thought. That I mean, I I I, I didn't guess that you would be on Muffy's side to be honest with you. Because I mean, I I I disagree almost entirely. I think Muffy comes off horribly in this episode oh no i, I was i was cheered for Buffy. there's a moment in this episode where i'm like yeah Bucky, buffy yeah like get yours uh but we'll get to that later on uh i did write down the morality in this episode is surprisingly relevant these days i feel like we hear more and more about people who are getting snubbed uh from work that they did on like a joint project and have it like be the the um be credited to just one person uh, I, I'm afraid I can't give you specific examples, but no, I'm 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 far more on the side of uh, the kids now. I know that it's you know not exactly rocket science to just put more ingredients in there, but at the same time, it's like Muffy. This clearly, like we all like we all know, we all saw this is not her idea, and without them, she would have had to go with basically the same thing and probably would have just lost and. But, uh, but they not giving not they not only giving care them any because they only care because she's successful. Like, uh, like, like they want, like they didn't care about this competition whatsoever. Like Buffy's the only one who's ever cared. If they did, they would have entered something themselves. They only care because their like funny little joke where they're like throwing stuff in a pot just happened to yield results. Had this been a colossal failure, I don't think they'd be like grasping for credit. So I see the gag as a bunch of opportunists who are like, Oh, you know, uh, you know, one time I was in the lobby of a hotel and I came up with the idea for Seinfeld and, you know, Larry David overheard me and he stole my idea and I should get all the credits. Listen, if you don't put that extra work into place to sell your idea and listen, a lot of people have come up with things and then not patented, patented them. 
And then they end up getting patented, and so they don't get any of the credit. It's up to you to go out and make sure that your tracks are covered legally so you're not left in this situation uh, like these kids are left in. They're learning, they're learning about the harsh realities of life early. I mean, you're very fired up about this issue, I can tell, and you're and you're and you're making some fine points. I I, I must concede to that. Although I will say that in you know, the 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 hypothetical situation you put out there is that like, well, it's it's their word against you know Larry David's, but in this case, it's like we know that they were an integral part of creating this thing, and if and it's and it's of a much different idea than it's like you know, there's not really money on the line it's just simple it's just simply being credited for for what they did you know it's like it's well like, money the fact, money the does end up getting on the line later on but we'll get yeah, to that. yeah i suppose that's true uh anyway i i think it's just it's more of like a you know not being entirely truthful kind of thing it's they're more uh upset that they weren't included as part of the process rather than you know getting any kind of remuneration for it which when you're an adult enters into it a bit more. But like you said, uh, th- that may not be true going on uh, going on later. Yeah, so uh, the whole thing is, is that uh, Muffy is kind of putting forth that this was her idea and her idea alone. In fact, they confront her at a, uh, at a photo shoot, and uh, they are shooting a picture for the cover of The Bag, which is a cookie bag that Muffy's going to sell at the Sugar Bowl. And Binky's like, she's going to make money off of us? <laughs> and and so leads- we, we sort of get this like imagination sequence of like uh, Muffy becomes uh, I think it's in Binky's words more famous than a donut and like it, the cookies are so good they are the most successful product on the planet yeah Muffy becomes like chocolate chip Charlie and so she's the most successful store in the history of buying stuff that's Muffy's cookie castle which even uh, relocates to the moon and makes several uh, franchising opportunities over there. The, this is kind of where Muffy makes her uh, her argument for herself, which is that she owned she owns the ingredients, she owns the oven, she put it forth, and I'm 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 not saying that that's at even M- the bad Muffy, argument. Muffy owns the means of production. <laughs> <laughs> Man, speaking of relevant in 2017, uh, uh, the gang is trying to seize the means of production. I didn't even think of that. Uh, so she does kind of, she is pretty, like, she does kind of kick them to the curb a little bit of just like, I don't need you guys anymore. But then it kind of comes back to bite her later because she needs to make more of these cookies. And she never took the time to uh, uh, write down the recipe. So she kind of has to go and uh, do it uh, just kind of off of instinct. Although, so this is my although, biggest although, problem with although, the episode. Okay, I think I know what it is. So I wrote down here, Muffy says, I don't have it written down. And I was like, just get it from the paper? Yeah, it was... What uh, did they like, write in the paper? I like. I mean, it, the only way this makes any sense whatsoever is like if the ingredients in the paper was like very like nonspecific. Like, oh, it's got bananas and a raisin. And like it didn't have exact measurements. But... Like, Muffy, hmm. the, the, who, if, like, who printed the, re- like, at some point, it would have had to have been written down, because they can't just, like, make it up by taste, like, in the paper. Like, they had to figure out that information somehow, and I'm assuming they didn't interview the gang, so yeah. it, it was printed somewhere, sub- it's just a huge plot hole. And it's funny, I don't, we don't often, like, point out that there's, like, giant plot holes in Arthur. It's usually pretty good about this. But this is a glaring plot hole. Yeah. 
Uh, so Muffy tries to do, to recreate it, uh, and with greater and greater failures every time. At one point, she tries uh, apples in the recipe, and at one point, she tries pineapple. Now, as much as bad as these cookies are, it just it broke my heart a little every time to see an entire tray of cookies being dumped into the garbage. At this point, Muffy is desperate. She has not been able to recreate it by herself. Uh, but the kids do remember exactly the recipe, and they wrote it down, and they are uh, they are committed to never giving it to Muffy, who actually does kind of come crawling back to them. Like, she's got all kinds of dough on herself and everything, uh, and she sees them at the treehouse and kind of goes for everything except begging to get the recipe. And eventually, she just kind of give a facetious apology. In fact, she says, I'm sorry you feel like I cheated you, which is the most <laughs> non-apology thing ever. And so basically they give her an ultimatum that she can either, uh, you know, continue on the path she's going on uh, and uh, become wildly successful with her new cookie franchise, or she could pick friendship with them. And then there's this moment where, like, Muffy, like, she keeps leaving and coming back just to be like, uh, this is the real recipe, right? And they're like, yep. She's like, you guys didn't mess with it on purpose, so it tastes bad, right? They're like, yep. And she's like, okay, see ya. And I'm like, heck yeah, Muffy, you do you. No, she's, they got no legal recourse against her. They had nothing in writing, so as far as the, the court of public opinion is concerned, it's her opinion against, it's her story against theirs. Uh, I, I say this facetiously, of course, of course, friendship's important and that's the real moral of the story, but it was funny to me that at least in this moment, it's like, yep, Muffy chose wealth, like, see ya. And I think we even get a line from Francine who's like, oh man, I thought she'd choose friendship. Well, it's pretty cold because like they give her the recipe in, in like good faith that somebody, one of them is just like, so are you going to credit us this time? And Muffy with the recipe in her hand and not even like out of the treehouse, is just like, I don't think that's going to be possible. <laughs> it's like, she, like <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's funny that it took, uh, it took Muffy doubling down on her worst attributes to, to get kind of a rise out of you. Cause I wrote down that she's like downright villainous at points. I, maybe that's what I like about it. Like, it, instead of her just being like, I'm rich, like, her being, like, cartoonishly, like, uh, the, over the top, uh, I, I feel like I get entertainment value out of that, at least, besides her just being, like, a very simple character. So the more over the... If, if they're not going to flesh her out, Eddie, going super, like, you know, Daddy Warbucks with it uh, mm. is a way to have it work for me. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, so of course they've been very bird at this point. The friends have, and I'm, and I will note here that brain just kind of disappears halfway through this episode. Yeah. He, uh, contributed his peach and oatmeal idea and was never seen from again. Yeah. Because it, it pretty much is the end of the episode here as they're going by the sugar bowl. And they're just like, I don't think I can ever step a foot in there. As long as they're selling those cookies, Muffy comes out with the new bag and it's uh, instead of Muffy's picture on it, it says Muffy and friends and the cookies that she made with the recipe are all shaped like the kids. Uh, in fact, the the way that these cookies are drawn, like I, I they're a little bit different than they were in the opening. To me, they almost look like uh, chicken fingers. Like yeah, like those grocery store chicken fingers, like the real the ch chicken tenders. Do you know what I just realized? This moment's yeah. supposed to be like the like you know the kids show moral of like oh she picked friendship after all all the kids are happy they're getting proper credit. 
she is still reaping all the benefits. I just That's... realized. Like, they're getting credit, but the buck stops there. Like, Buffy is still 100% making all the money off of this idea. And now, she's even using their likeness. But it it is a little bit of morality that helps to sway Muffy. She says that, you know, she talked about it with her dad who told her, a lie is a lie even when you get away with it. And being a car salesman, he won't stand for any lying. Which is, that's a funny little car salesman dig for the adults out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they decide that they, or Muffy's like, that now we can talk about my recipe for next year. And Francine's like, whose new recipe? And it's like our new recipe. So, you know, Mu you're, you're right in that Muffy is still going to make that money off of the cookies. But uh, she's eh, kind of halfway learned her lesson. So I guess it's all good. And now a word from us kids. Uh, this was another one that I forgot, like, I'd forgotten about, and then as soon as we got into it, I was like, oh, right, it's this one. This is actually really cool. Um, it's uh, a group of kids from the Perkins School for the Blind, which I looked up on Google. It's located in Watertown, Massachusetts, and it's uh, how kids at this school uh, make cookies themselves. It's... I thought it, I, th I just thought it was, like, it's, it's neat seeing them go through this whole thing of just, like, uh, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that this would be a different experience for kids uh, who can't see or who are visu visually impaired. And it's awesome to see a different type of school featured here rather than, you know, your normal uh, elementary school in the, Bo in the Boston or Massachusetts area. I'll also say that their cookies turned out better probably than any cookie I could make. That's right. Like, yeah, I've made cookies myself and they did not look nearly as good as this. And again, I was watching this on an empty stomach. Man, I want cookies. <laughs> anyway, uh, great little aside here, and I thought that it was uh, it was really cool to see something a little bit different uh, in these in the in this segment. I, I uh, tend to agree. I think it was just nice. It it gives you it's one of those words from us kids. It just gives you a good feeling. That's right, and that's uh, that's about that's about the best that we can expect from these little interludes. Okay, so let's get to it. It's the final story of season two. This one is Sue Ellen's little sister. Unlike the title of the episode, it actually starts with Arthur giving us the cold open once again. Arthur's talking about what it might be like if he were an only child because uh, he's uh, having a whole brownie to himself in the kitchen. It's a nice, like, not, not just like a, you know, two-bite brownie or something. This is a real manhandler. But DW uh, distracts him with what I thought was actually a pretty... Uh, she really committed to the lie here. Uh, she says, you know, it's like, Arthur, there's a parade outside. And it's like, but it's raining. It's like, because it's a rain parade. The the marching band is wearing raincoats and all this kind of stuff. You've got to see it now. And, like, she really commits to it all just to get one bite of Arthur's brownie. Not even the whole thing. Uh, so, yeah, the whole idea is that Arthur wants to uh, imagine uh, what it's what life would be like as an only child. So if he were just by himself, he could use uh, DW and Kate's room as a study. It's just it's like this really almost Beauty and the Beast style library. And uh, however, he does get rid of a, a like uh, what was the name of it? DW used it in a previous episode. Uh, Princess Sneeze and Wet. That's mm. the name of it. And it's just like it's just dripping from the diaper. And I thought that was kind of gross. I could have done without that. Uh, Arthur gets three stockings at Christmas, which is funny because it's like, Arthur, 
DW crossed out Arthur. Kate crossed out Arthur. See, that's what's weird about this is he's not just, like, imagining himself as an only child. In this, like, in this imagination sequence, uh, like, DW and Kate had existed. They're just not around anymore, which is a little bit dark to think about. Like, DW crossed out is a real, like, baby shoes never worn kind of, there's (laughs) there's uh, an undercurrent of darkness to that imagery. Same with the the doll is in the study, so, so that doll, someone owned it. Did not even think about that. That is rather disturbing. Uh, and then the be- best of all, Arthur says he'd never have to compromise. And he's got this, like, Bionic Bunny playlist that he's going to watch. It's just like, we're going to watch the new episode, then we're going to watch a rerun, and then we're going to watch this tape of my favorite Bionic Bunny episodes. It's like Arthur's Bionic Bunny playlist is what I do when I live alone, but except replace Bionic Bunny with wrestling. <laughs> First, we're going to watch the Smojo match. Yeah, uh, and then we're gonna go back, and we're gonna watch. Yeah, I I see what you mean. We're gonna watch. We're gonna watch this progress show, yeah, and then I've yeah. got this best of PWG DVD. Okay, <laughs> then I, I do. The, I I do the when I had UFC Fight Pass, I would do the exact same thing. Where it's like, okay, now we're gonna watch Nogara versus Bob Sapp, uh, and, and, and then since we're on the. <laughs> idea of slams we're gonna watch rampage jackson doing that uh power bob and then since we're talking about rampage jackson we're gonna watch him fight vanderlei silva like yeah you go down these rabbit holes so i i I see where arthur's coming from but he concludes that the best thing about having a little sister is that he can uh blame things on her that she didn't do including eating the last brownie as arthur just did so as you know for all it's waxing poetic the first episode about oh you shouldn't lie even if you're gonna make a ton of money this episode sure makes it be like oh yeah arthur lies and it's just fun no consequences that's a great point actually i didn't put that together but oh yeah that's uh i mean that's there in black and white arthur just straight up fibs and i imagine that uh that uh, dw would have kicked up quite a stink about not having eaten the last brownie so i don't know if that actually made things easier uh, so this is a Sue Ellen Spotlight episode, which is very nice that we finally get one of these, a little bit deeper into her character. Uh, it starts off at the annual picnic, as seen on a banner. Annual picnic, and I guess they can't be bothered to name it. And so everything there is kind of sibling-themed. Uh, Sue Ellen is there with her parents, and she's, of course, an only child, and she sees everybody else kind of interacting with their siblings. So uh, DW and Arthur are doing, like, a three-legged race, and uh, the or sorry, a wheelbarrow race. DW says to Sue Ellen, like, maybe there'll be an event for lonely children next year. And Arthur, <laughs> cold as ice, he says, it's only children, DW. A lonely child is what you're going to be when I sell you. Yeah. So maybe in the cold open, Arthur successfully sold his two little sisters. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, I mean, hey, it doesn't does make, doesn't make it any less dark. In fact, it might make it darker. Maybe, indeed, he sold them. Let's just say he sold them to an orphanage, and that, that'll be kind of what we go with from there. I, I don't know if that's how orphanages work, but sure. It's, it, it's not, but let's just keep going. Uh, Sue Ellen runs across Francine and Catherine, and I, and I actually like this, too. Uh, it's Francine and Catherine, you know, normally they're at odds with each other. But this time, no, they're just kind of having fun. Like, Catherine is teaching Francine uh, some cheerleading drills and then kind of uh, gets in a bit of a tickle fight with her. In fact, we we see here, I think this is the first instance of Francine's nickname uh, from her family, Frankie. 
Yeah, and I have a cousin named Frankie, so I hadn't heard them call Francine that before, but it fits. She seems like yeah. a Frankie. Yeah, I think it works, and it's just it was just really nice to see them, you know, not necessarily uh, each other's nemesis in this episode. Uh, but as the day wears on, you know, there's like fireworks and all this kind of stuff. Sue Ellen is it, it, every once in a while it just kind of cuts back to her as she's watching everybody with siblings. She just goes, huh. and they do that like I feel like four or five times of just siblings having fun. Huh. It, uh, speaking of. Uh, banana was my idea that's a little bit repetitive on its own here mm. uh on the on the car ride home i loved this sue ellen's just like mom dad you know what i want for my birthday a brother or sister and then <laughs> her mom and dad get get the look on their faces like oh uh well <laughs> well another thing i like about this is that it's actually very realistic because it's already been established that like sue ellen's family they're very worldly. Like, they travel all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Sue Ellen's been to all these different places. And so they actually have a very realistic explanation for why Sue Ellen doesn't have a brother or a sister. She's, they, I don't remember what they say, but they basically say, like, well, we live this lifestyle because you don't have a brother or sister. We could afford to travel all the time if, if we did, uh, which is a very realistic. Yeah. And as they, as they even say, aren't you excited to go to India this year? And so Ellen's like, yeah, but it'd be more fun with a brother or sister. And, of course, it's because she doesn't exactly get uh, what uh, what the process of a brother or sister exactly entails. Uh, so back home, Sue Ellen's talking to her bear. Chester is his name. Uh, and no relation to the cheetah. No, or no relation to Stanley either. But another very proper British name uh, to give a bear. Uh, Sue Ellen is kind of thinking about who would be a perfect brother or sister and kind of there's a the sequence here that pretty much lasts almost the whole episode is that she's kind of screening her friends to be potential brothers or sisters to kind of just cut and paste them out of their lives and into hers. Uh, so the first the first one is Binky, who she thinks would be really helpful because he's an older brother and would know more than her and is like physically stronger than her as well. And, and, and the way they play this out in her imagination is that like uh, I think like a ball gets stuck up high or no, there's a frisbee on a roof. And so because Binky's so strong, he like tosses her up to get it. But yeah. it's animated in a way that looks just crazy because he grabs <laughs> her by the ankles and like like throws her up into the air by the ankles and then catches her by the ankles almost as if they just reversed the animation and it's mm. like if you do that to a real life person that would result in serious injury <laughs> i was thinking that too of just like that's probably the least pl- the least likely place you should throw somebody like try seeing, by un- under the sh- under the arms or something seeing someone caught right side up by the ankles there's just something weird about it that it, it just it doesn't fit it's like a dog standing on its hind legs yeah you just kind of expect their legs to crumble and just yeah, like yeah, the yeah. rest of their body like it's it's not a very stable place to hold somebody especially because she stands like straight up like i know it like Cirque du Soleil if he was to then like proceed to swing her under like by the ankles that would make more sense with all the forces at play but it's like a vertical drop into his hands by the ankles like you just half expect her knees to blow out Mm. uh so that's kind of what she has in her mind but then she kind of takes binky to the sugar bowl and asks her if she should be uh, it's like an oceanographer or like maybe an archaeologist or something Uh, an artist she asks if she should be an oceanographer or an artist 
To which Binky's like, I don't know what an oceanographer is. And Binky's, and Sue Ellen's just like, it's somebody who studies uh, underwater life. And Binky's like, that's a dumb thing to study. Yeah, you should study something cool like worms. And then Swellen says that there's no such thing as a wormographer. And there isn't something with that name, but there's absolutely people who study worms. So she's dead wrong about that. And she also, yeah. like, kind of helps Binky pick a career because Binky's like, I'm going to be the first wormographer. Yeah, isn't, uh, isn't, um, Matthew Broderick in the 1998 Godzilla film, isn't he, like, doesn't he study worms? See, I was thinking, that's actually, I, I, Jeez, I'm surprised you remembered anything about that movie, but I think that's true. Uh, I was reminded of that lady from that one uh, Best of the Worst episode where it's just a videotape on worms. Hmm. And there's, like, the worm lady who, like, has all these songs about how cool worms are. I don't think I've seen that one, unfortunately. I'll have to look that up. It's very disturbing. (laughs) So, Sue Ellen, uh, Binky's a bit of a bust, so her next person is Brain who uh, does kind of take her down the path of, like, what would it be like to be an oceanographer? But then he he's so smart that he just kind of makes her head spin with all of it. This one's weird because it's like, I mean, they're kids, so that – they're kids. But looking at this as an adult, like, he's the stuff he's saying is not too crazy. Like, if she was to go to school for either art or oceanography, she would have to learn all the things Braid is talking about, specifically the art one. Like, when he's like, okay, let's, like, go into some art history. You want to be an artist? Like, she's like, oh, wow, this is, like, so complicated. And I get it because they're kids and Braid's maybe at a higher reading level. But, like, if you want to actually have these careers, buckle up because this is what you're in store for if you're going to college for this stuff. That's right. Maybe she just hadn't thought about it the whole way through, which in its way, in its own way, is a little bit helpful, but also probably very overwhelming. Uh her next idea is Arthur, who she thinks would be a good brother because he already has a little. Uh, he has he already has two sisters. But this this is great. It's like Binky oh, and Brain. I, I get, love this. Binky and Brain kind of get their own segments of like you know why they wouldn't exactly work as Sue Ellen's sibling. With with her, it's just a simple cut to Arthur with a bunch of pl- like uh, cards, like trading cards at his kitchen table and Sue Ellen sitting there looking tired and Arthur just says, want to look at my Space Wars cards again? And Sue Ellen snor- like, she pretends to snore like right in his face. It's so rude, but it's hilarious. I, I just love the idea of like, oh, you know, like, Biggie doesn't really get Sue Ellen. They don't share a lot of interests and Braid's like kind of overwhelming with his intelligence. Arthur's negative quality is that he's like a man child. He's like, hey, you want to look at my action figures? Like, she just can't relate to him at all because he's like super lame. Like, oh, you want to look at my <laughs> space work cards? Like, for a kid, that that's like, that's probably how I was like as a kid. Like, if a girl was like, hey, I want you to be my big brother, I'd be like, yeah, you want to check out these Pokemon cards again? Right. Uh, but like now, like, just thinking about like, if this was an episode about Swellen looking for a potential partner, like, in dating, the idea of, like, going on a date with Arthur and he's like, you want to look at my Space War cards? is just really funny to me. Like, Arthur being this, like, man-child. Well, I mean, to be fair, he is a child. He is a child, so that's what makes it very child childish yeah. in a way that she's not into. And, yeah, it really is, like, the equivalent of just, like, hey, do you want to look at my Yu-Gi-Oh holographics? Ooh. This is first edition, you know. <laughs> oh, See that? See that's enough for Lucas, but not enough for Sue Ellen. And anyway, I just thought that was a really funny way to go about it. Um, so she decides maybe having a brother isn't a great idea, but maybe having a sister is the way to go. And uh, you know, in the last episode, in the last story, we got a little bit of more. 
negligibly uh, a negligible amount of development for Muffy. We get a little bit more here of another uh, less than favorite character, Prunella. A little peek into her home life with her sister Rubella. Oh man, I mean, what's there to say? Like, I'm just so not into Prunella and Rubella, and it's not even their fault. Like, this whole sequence works, and it's actually pretty funny, like in the context of the episode. But like, my personality is just like, even as a kid, like I would be so not into this. Mm. Uh, it's not even funny. Like, this is just like the antithesis of like what I'm into as a person. Right, because uh, as soon as she goes over to Prunella's place, like she's immediately kind of spirited into this situation where uh, Rubella is pretending to be uh, a sorcerer, Arcana Mistress of the Dusk. So she takes their hair scrunchies, quote-unquote magic on them, in the sense of that she just kind of cuts them and then uh, uh, puts them back together. This actually made me wonder. So we've established that Francine's sister Catherine is like in high school. And I'm not certain. I am curious of the age of Rebella. I don't know how old she is. Now, I could see her being in high school or maybe even like early university. My, I, I asked this because I just wonder if, if she's in high school. I wonder if Rebella and Catherine go to the same school. I, I, I think so. They seem like they're in the same age range to me. I bet they don't hang out in similar circles, though. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so, she, uh, so she makes this hair scrunchie, and then Rubella is called away and commands them to remain still until she comes back and says, Lini Tahini Potato Kanish, you will do exactly as I wish. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. <laughs> The wordplay is actually pretty on point, especially if you just came up came came up with that on the spot. It's actually like Lini, Patini, Potato, Kanish, da 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 like you you could that's a like that's the start of a good sixteen right there. Yeah, it's a little Schlemiel Schlemazel hasn't Pfeffer Incorporated. Uh and so they remain they try and be still for a while. Prunella's taking it very seriously. Uh and then of course Sue Ellen definitely isn't. But as soon as they start moving again, they realize that they're going to get egg salad sandwiches for lunch. And uh, I I wrote down here, like, uh, her mother comes up and says, ready for lunch, kids? Egg salad's on the table. And I wrote, egg salad for lunch? This family sucks. What are you talking about? Nothing wrong with an egg salad sandwich. But at least Prunella is like, you know, Sue Ellen's just like, I told you there was no curse if we started moving. And Prunella's like, what do you mean? I hate egg salad. So at least... There's that. I'm sorry, dude. I just I'm not a I'm not an egg salad fan. I like eggs, but I don't like egg salad. I'll listen. If someone was to, I would be very excited if someone was to prepare me an egg salad sandwich. Uh, That would that would be amongst the highlights of my day. All right, all right, folks. So along with uh, along with Muffy's cookie recipe, uh, send Lucas your egg salad sandwiches. Sue Ellen's next thing is that maybe a sister her own age won't work, but maybe a younger sister will. So she goes back to Arthur's place, who's actually very excited to see her. We get another reference here to Fish Finder Six with improved graphics. Wait, but, but but before Fish, Fish Finder Six was like a Tiger Electronics standalone handheld game, it now seems that there's like. Arthur has the home version of Fish Finder 6 with improved graphics because it's a Super Nintendo game now. Yeah, it must be like multi-platform is my guess. <laughs> he had to buy both. 
I mean, hey, it's it, maybe it maybe the maybe the uh, the handheld port is dramatically different than uh, it's like it's like Aladdin on the Super Nintendo versus Aladdin on the Sega Genesis. Hmm. It's just they're so they're like utterly different games from the ground up. Duellen's come over to Arthur's place to look after DW to get some experience in being a big sister. And again, she kind of has a very rose-tinted glasses way of what she thinks it's going to be like. Like she's going to make her a paper swan and DW's going to be like, "You're the best sister in the whole world." I loved this so much cuz it's like one of those things where like I could see where it was going a mile away and it exceeded mm. my expectations. Like the I I love the like any it's a really simple joke like the contrast of like oh i expect this to be perfect and then immediately contrast it with something terrible but like the way dw the real dw is introduced in this scene is hilarious you know this actually is probably the best part of the episode just because of the this because of the setup and the payoff oh, uh, the comedic timing but, is so wonderful like even arthur says like like, you want to actually take care of DW, but don't you know what her name stands for? Disaster Warning. <laughs> Which, Which is, is the first line. time. Yeah, the first time we get that. It really is like DW throughout her misadventures with Sue Ellen. Is, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, I, I, I put realistic in quotes, but it's a bit more uh, realistic uh, portrayal of a hyperactive kid because she never does exactly what Sue Ellen wants. And she's really just kind of going going by feeling more than anything else so like so yeah she sees so, DW. So, so after after yeah, like we've been ahead. through this situation where like oh it's like oh what a great swan like you're so awesome so well and we have dw the real dw barge through the door and say nothing besides like i think swell starts to talk about like what they want to do that day and do, dw just starts screaming piggyback piggyback like not even asking her to do a piggyback or like a question as a statement she's just like piggyback and Arthur just kind of sees this as DW breaking her in. So, like, things are only going to get worse from here on. And it's it's a side... Like, we normally see DW as a pretty, you know... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Just, like, you know, very composed and, like, uh, very well-spoken four-year-old. But this is, like, her most base four-year-old instincts. This is the... Like, uh, this is chaotic DW. This is... It absolutely is. It's the chaos of DW that we don't get to see. Uh... Sue Ellen tries to play a game of Simon Says with her, and immediately, and I mean, this is kind of intelligent by DW, she immediately grasps the uh, the fatal flaw with Simon Says, of just, like, it's can be really hard to explain to some kids the difference between not saying Simon Says and saying Simon Says. Because, of course, DW's like, you know, Sue Ellen's like, you lose, I didn't say Simon Says, and DW's like, sure you did, Simon! And, uh, and in fact, she even, she even threatens Sue Ellen, she's like, it's like, my name's not Simon. And then DW's like, then who are you? <laughs> Daddy, there's a stranger in the house. Like, just start screaming. It's 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 a gauntlet uh, more than anything. Um, and then finally, Sue Ellen presents her with the paper crane she was so... She thought that DW would be so enamored with, but instead DW, like, throws it out the window to see it fly. Which is foreshadowing for another very famous Arthur moment. I thought this was a nice touch that way. Oh. oh, DW has a history of throwing things she's presented with out the window. I'll keep that yeah. in mind. 
Again, it is the more chaotic, temperamental part of DW, just kind of doing what she wants. And then finally, Sue Ellen has enough when DW gives her, tries to give her a beauty makeover with, hopefully, skin-friendly paint onto her face. And, and, Arthur, and Arthur ends it by saying, actually, she lasted a lot longer than most babysitters. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, we're kind of getting into the wrap-up of the whole thing. You know, Sue Ellen goes home, and you know, for the first time in her life, she's never been so happy to be an only child. But her parents come into her room and say, you, we've got you, we got a special surprise for you, a new, ba- a new little brother. And Sue Ellen is not as jazzed as she was before. And this is where I wrote down, I appreciate that in this episode, having a sibling or being an only child, these two kind of separate states of being, one isn't presented as being better than the other. Are you saying, in conclusion, uh, having a sibling <laughs> is a series of contrasts? Because the studies of contrast. Yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I could be saying that. <laughs> but, I mean, it's usually, like, in these episodes, it's like, oh, one, like, you know, having a sibling is the best, or, like, being an only child is actually great. It's like, well, there's drawbacks and positives to both of them. Hmm. Uh, but, th- so, the end of the episode is that Sue Ellen has gained a new little brother but in the sense that they are sponsoring a child in a different country his name is Tenzin uh and he lives in Tibet and uh he sent Sue Ellen a photo of him he's like a little panda which Uh, is like kind of weird like this got me thinking about um the idea that like in the Arthur universe like continents are populated by animals that are actually like inherent to that continent in real life so for instance all most of the arthur characters are like bears and rabbits and like animals that you would find inherent to north america now if Mm. you really think about this this all kind of falls apart uh because there's monkeys there's there's some other stuff that doesn't quite fit this formula but it's interesting Mm -hmm. because we haven't really seen like a panda or like one of those he he he's a little dark for a panda he could be like a sun bear or something but we it's it's an animal that's inherent to asia right so i was like that's an interesting touch like i wonder if there's like in africa there's like leopards and and cheetahs and elk and caribou but i'm not sure again much like the animal hierarchy of arthur the more we think about it the more it all starts to fall apart so but I, i thought it was an interesting touch and i wonder if they had that in mind or if it's just a coincidence yeah, that is a good point. I only started thinking about it as soon as I kind of said it out loud. But the episode ends with Sue Ellen showing him off to her friends. And Arthur says, I think he's the perfect brother, Sue Ellen, because he's 3,000 miles away. <laughs> Which is a sick burn. I'll also say now that uh, Sue Ellen's family is sponsoring him, maybe he'll be able to buy a shirt that fits. Hmm. Let's hope so. All right. So the final episode of season two, let's talk about it a little bit more uh, critically in depth. So let's go back to... Uh, how the cookie crumbles? What'd you think, Lucas? This episode just kind of annoyed me. Uh, like I was into like hyper opportunistic capitalist Muffy taking advantage of all of her friends and trying to reap all the benefits and kind of succeeding at it in the end. But like I don't know, Binky was just kind of annoying me in this episode. I, the gang was kind of annoying me in this episode. Uh, I liked all the food stuff. Like, it was fun watching them cook, and, like, I just like seeing food in cartoons in a very Studio Ghibli way. It's it's just something that's fun to me. Uh, but besides that, I was like, this is kind of an annoying episode. It's definitely not what I would go back to. How about yourself? 
Well, I had high hopes for it. Even even back to last week, I was like, oh boy, I can't wait to talk about this one because I had some good memories of it. There are some interesting visuals. I, I like the opening with them as cookies. Uh, I That's also... True. I do like that crate. It's like a... That opening's wild, and I do enjoy it. I appreciated that... It had uh, food in it as well. I, I really liked uh, just thinking about the different types of food that uh, that they were featuring. But uh, I, I think our problems are a little bit different as we kind of talked about. Uh, you really were a bit more attracted to Muffy uh, as a character this time than I was. And I certainly thought that she came off incredibly bad here. Um, I think that it was just... I'm not, I'm not a great fan of this episode either, but I'm a little bit um, softer on it because... It certainly wasn't a boring episode, you know. In fact, as as recently as the last episode of Elwood City Limits we did, I'm thinking specifically of Finders Keepers. I just found that episode a little dull. This one, it was, it wasn't dull. It just kind of um, the mistakes it made were a bit bit more uh, flagrant. Like you said, uh, Binky's whole thing kind of got annoying. I felt that Muffy was just at the edge of being totally irredeemable here even though she did kind of save it at the end and it was just kind of and like you said yourself there were just some kind of things there were like actual honest to god plot holes in this episode which we don't normally get and we don't normally look for it just was incredibly obvious so um there's a bit of a there's a bit of a qual uh a strange quality to this that like i wouldn't say i'd never watch it again but it's certainly not standing up to the better episodes of the season either. And then we get to uh, Sue Ellen's little sister, which unfortunately, I mean, I thought it was kind of a little bit more on the side of, it was okay. It was a little, a little boring. I kind of, I didn't really know what Sue Ellen's end game was. I wrote down of just like, so is she going to try and make somebody like forcibly make them her sibling? I mean, I know she was just kind of looking for models of them, but uh, I don't know. I didn't really... Uh, nothing really drew me in about this episode. I think I think it's great that we got one that was focused on uh, Sue Ellen, and we kind of got to delve into her world a little bit more. And I think that the the part with DW was absolutely the best part of the episode. But other than that, it's not uh, one that's super super memorable, which in a in a sense is almost a little bit of a, a little bit of a a flag at the end of season two to kind of represent what the season was about. Yeah, I I will say that uh, this episode's colored a little bit differently uh, now that I know it's the season finale. Because if you remember, the end of season one had such a uh, like a wrap up feel, like it's like oh, like a year in Arthur. It was such a a perfect period to that season. Uh, This episode doesn't really serve that purpose at all. Both of these episodes are just kind of random episodes. Uh, but I again, I do like Sue Ellen. I like the dynamic of her family. I like how she represents uh, Arthur's so good at representing all kinds of different kind of home lives and different situations. You know, uh, Buster has divorced parents. Uh, Francine's family is, has is a low income family, and they live in an apartment. Like we see all these different kind of home lives. And uh, Sue Ellen, I like spending time with her and her family because she similarly has a different home life. She's an only child. Her family travels all the time. It's a perspective we don't really get to see in a lot of kids' media. And so I always enjoy spending more time with Sue Ellen. And I I, I enjoyed 
uh, like sort of watching Sue Ellen come to terms with the fact that she's an only child because it's just an interesting subject. Uh, I will say it is a little slow. It's not like a laugh a minute, but I did. I think I was a little bit more entertained by the various situations than you. Like I liked the imagination of Binky throat chucking her up on that roof. I liked as much as I dislike Prunella and Rubella. I thought the comedy with like Prunella standing there for a full half hour because she believed her sister's lies uh, to be funny. I liked the stuff with Arthur just being like totally incompatible and being like, oh, I just want to play my video game. You want to see these trading cards? Uh, and of course the DW stuff. Uh, was DW at her, again, most chaotic, uh, which I got a kick of. So I, I think I had, like you said, it's not like this crazy standalone episode, but in my opinion, it was a pretty consistent episode that uh, I got. It was very even-keeled, which I can't necessarily say for the uh, the cookie episode. So I enjoyed mm. it. Okay, that's that's a good point. And ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else in between, that's it for Arthur Season 2. And you know something else, Lucas? This is something that I actually... Maybe... I, I think I meant to mention at the beginning of the episode. You know what else uh, this episode of Elwood City Limits marks? What? This is our 50th episode. Oh, my... No. What anniversary is that? That's like the silver? The cardboard? I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> That's crazy. 50? You... It's time for a mid-podcast crisis, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. 50 full Arthur episodes, and of course, not counting the uh, the uh, the ECL extra episodes or the ECL presents episodes or anything in between. Fifty episodes of Arthur. Um, I just want to take a second. You know, it snuck up on me too. But uh, as always, we're very appreciative of all of the feedback of the listenership that we've been provided for the last fifty plus episodes, and we want to say a big thank you. And uh, we really appreciate everybody who's helped us get through 50 episodes, and I look forward to the next 50. Well, I'll say I'm super happy we've made it this far because uh, there is something I'm very excited about on the horizon. Something I had in mind when we started this podcast. Uh, okay, so before we get into the plans for post-episode 50, I'll just really quick go over our uh, our links where you can find us on the internet. Uh, Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Give us a like over there. Thank you to our most recent uh, like. We are now up to 87. Uh, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. Feel free to throw us an ask over there. Uh, if you'd like to do something a little bit more long form, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you to Mandy for your email this week. If you'd like to listen, of course, uh, like you're doing right now, you can find us on the Apple Music Store under podcasts. So feel free to give us a rating and review. You can find all of our back catalog on our website, elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. And uh, you can also find us on the Google Play uh, store under podcasts. Okay, so it's time for us to get into um, just kind of a, a season two wrap up. But of course, we're not going to do that here. This is the end of the episode proper. Uh, the next time that we come at you, we're going to be giving you our top five Arthur episodes of season two. So, Lucas, you and I are going to have, have to have a little bit of a think on this one. Mm, I, I I very much have to consider all the possibilities. I think this season's going to be easier than the first season. One, because there's uh, less episodes to pick from. Uh, but two, there's also less episodes that I feel strongly about 
than last season. So I think this one uh, might be a little bit more of a cakewalk. Uh, yeah, so that is uh, hopefully with uh, with everything going according to plan, we'll be able to get you that roundup of season two coming out next week. And then later on into November, we're going to be starting it up once again. Arthur season three. And Lucas, this is I know that this is exactly what you were talking about because uh, you know, not to spoil our long-form thoughts on Season 2, but I think we were a little bit disappointed with what we came into. But my goodness gracious, we are starting off on one hell of a note with Arthur Season 3 because Buster's back, and we're going to hear the ballad of Buster Baxter. Oh, man. <laughs> this is this is I think for the two of us this is one of our most anticipated episodes that we may ever do because we have some great memories of this and I'm super excited to see if this holds up especially the ballad of Buster Baxter which I think is something of a landmark moment for the show. It's it's certainly Arthur as it, at its most high concept. All right, so that is the plan and uh, until we talk to you again whether it's about Arthur season 2 or the much anticipated Arthur season 3, we will see you again here on Elwood City Limits. Don't forget to go through the back catalog and uh, yeah, we would love to hear your picks for your top 5 Arthur episodes of season 2. Send it to us through our social media, through email or wherever you can find us. My name's Will Young. Thank you for 50 great episodes and more of this podcast that I love to do every week with my pal Lucas. Piggyback ride! We'll see you next time. Goodbye, Season 2. Hello, Season 3. And welcome back, Buster Baxter. Buster's back. All right. All right. I said banana. Banana, banana, banana was my idea. Without, without me, me. Yeah.